Hello, it is me, Ronald, and we are back with another episode of the Nante Japan podcast. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Hannah. Hello! Happy New Year, kind of. I guess you could say it's like a Happy New Year episode because like, we are doing the January 2023 episode this time. Um, so January normally is a, normally like a slow month. So I will ish. admit slow-ish. I mean, I will say that I spent most of the month on vacation. Um, I was missing from the site. I was not dead like some of the readers thought. Some of the readers actually in open post were just like, oh my God, we thought you died. And I'm like, no, I said I was going on vacation. So I went to Ghana and I went to San Francisco. Um, it had to be combined because I got sick. So like I had to combine the two trips I was having January into one. So I went from I went from New York to DC to Accra, Ghana, and then from Accra, Ghana to Washington, DC again to San Francisco, and then from San Francisco back to New York. Um, I was joined during my time in San Francisco by a friend of the show, Glitch, who joined us last year for our special episode for um fishbowl wives recounting recounting the mess that that drama was um a good mess a good mess yes um but yeah i had a lot of fun i went to japantown that was interesting um japantown in san francisco it basically consists of like a mall that's like partially underground but it had like different like eateries and like shops something like antiques and um kino there was a kino kunia and um my best friend lives in san francisco that's why i went out there and i saw him for the first time since he moved out there and we were in kino kunia and he was like looking at the magazines and he like jokingly said i bet you know who these people are and i was just like actually i've interviewed them them and them because he was pointing at a bunch of different magazines and it was just like King and Prince was on one magazine. Stones was on another magazine. I'm like, actually, I do know who these people are because I've actually, like, spoken to them. So that was funny. But it was nice because he actually, like, we were flipping through a, um, an issue of Casa Brutus, and it was about churches in Japan, and he loves, like, brutalist architecture, my friend. And there was a photo of Matsuko Deluxe visiting um, St. Mary's Cathedral in Tokyo, which is, like, this brutalist, like, masterpiece. And my friend was just like, isn't that that drag queen that was like the most famous person in the country when we were there? I was like, yes, it is. And they're still the most famous person there. <laughs> because he was just like, he was like, he's like, who's this like big woman I'm seeing everywhere? I was like, okay, this is in 2018 in Tokyo. And he was like, who's this like big, massive woman I'm seeing everywhere? I'm like, okay, it's not a woman. It's actually like even better in a way. It's a drag queen. He was like, this drag queen is like everywhere. This drag queen is like bigger than RuPaul. I was like, actually, the drag queen is the most famous celebrity in the country for like the past two years. And I was like, really? I'm like, yeah, but don't well, think now that it's more means... like five. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but don't think that means that like Japan is as progressive with LGBTQ rights as the U.S. is. I mean, Matsuko's presentation is 
a little problematic. It does fall into some tropes that people are actively trying to fight, but still it's like some sort of representation. Listen to the Regimes of Desire podcast episode from last year where we talked to Dr. Thomas Bowdenet about the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed my trips and like there was a little Japan angle there. Um, but let's jump into the episode, shall we, Hannah? Yeah. Okay, so we are going to start off with a lengthy um, feature of the show, which is what, Hannah? The Johnny's group. Okay, to be fair, to be fair. This Johnny's Corner, I may or may not have actively participated in. Hannah actively participated in this because the thing is, though, is that this was the first vacation. I'm known for taking a lot of vacations. Um, PTO, thank you. Um, but I said, this is my first vacation since Nante launched. The site cannot die while I'm on vacation because, like, everyone who reads a Rama. They would just be like, oh, we knew that you were on vacation, but like literally the site dies when you're on vacation. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it dies. And then but thank the you. Universe, the universe decided, oh, we're going to drop five major stories when Ronald is away. First day he leaves. And I'm just like, wow. Wow. Well, I do want to say thank you, Hannah. And thank you to Louisa. Um, for keeping the site going while I was away um, in the jungle, um, buying masks and eating fish and then dancing at raves in San Francisco. Okay, so New Year's Day, first big post of the new year is Yoshihiko Inohara answers all the questions currently surrounding Johnny and Associates. So, Inohara is the new president of Johnny's Island. Um, he took over the role from Hideaki Takazawa. Um, and so, basically, this interview took place at the end of last year. And he showed up to the interview in a suit, and he handed his business card to the reporter, and he said, ask me anything. Normally, someone in Inohara's position would not give his own business card out. Instead, he would have, like, one of his, like, assistants do it or a manager. But, like, he's bringing a new vibe to the mm -hmm. role. Mm -hmm. So the first question was about the passing of the role from Taki to him. And did he ever think that he would have this role? And he said that he didn't think he would ever have it. But um, Julie approached him and then he thought to himself, like, is this something that I should be doing? Because there are better people among the staff and the talents that are more suited for this job than me. But Julie persuaded him to take it on. And then something that he said, that Taki said, not Taki, sorry, Inohara said was, Johnny always said, think for yourself. And that's why, since I was young, I've been making and submitting proposals for the company. Even after I took over the role, I would be asked, isn't this more interesting? Julie has a positive attitude towards company management. She said to me, you know how the juniors feel. I was a junior for seven years before I debuted, and she said to me, you should understand the feelings of juniors who want to debut as soon as possible. This goes back to the whole thing about how, like, because Tacky was a junior and because Tacky also is a father, he's able to go and relate to the boys that are in the junior system better than, like, 
a lot of other people would be able to. So he was approached in mid-September about taking over the role. He said he would think it over. And he decided the day that he said he would think it over, he decided he actually would just go ahead and just do the job. And he said, I always decide to do things early. I was so excited when I decided to do it. Life is interesting. Thinking of myself when I knocked on Johnny's door in sixth grade, I think, you become president. Are you okay? But basically, as soon as he got into his new role, it was chaos. Because everyone knows that Takizawa's leaving was quite abrupt. There was... Basically, no handover, Inohara says. He said, Takizawa and I have known each other for 26, 27 years, and I said to him, I'm doing this for you. To be honest, I never took over. He walked out without speaking to anyone. But there is no time to say negative things. The juniors were worried. It makes sense in their position. If Takizawa disappeared and then me as a senior talent appeared and said, I'm the new president, you think, what can you do? So because of this, he's taken time and he's actually talked to the boys. Like he went to Kansai and met the Kansai juniors and he got them in a circle in the rehearsal room and rehearsal room. And he was just like, let's just talk about today. Like what, what happened today? Like what were you guys doing? What were you guys learning today? And then he exchanged contact information with the boys and said, if you ever have a problem, just feel free to give me a call. What do you think of this so far, Hannah? Honestly, honestly, it's actually a very, it's a very relatable style. Because one of the things that, um, that I remember, I think this might have been a Kinky Kids variety show when SK48 was on it. Um, all the SK48 members were like, we usually don't have one-on-one, like, FaceTime meetings with Akimoto Yasushi because he was also a guest on the same program. But they do call. They like call or message him all the time. And some girls obviously do this a lot more than most. And I was just thinking, and the Kinky Kids members at the time were just like, oh, but we meet with Johnny, like Johnny Kitagawa, um, at least, you know, pretty routinely. But I can also see how that might be a little bit intimidating. That you're talking to the CEO and the owner of the company about something. <laughs> yeah. So having Inohara as kind of this like in-between who goes up to people, says, here is my, probably it's his line contact info, being like, you can message me anytime. Not everyone's going to take him up on this, but it will be good to know that that, 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 avenue is there mm, yeah i mean like it's definitely like it's definitely like something where it feels like he's trying to make them more comfortable especially yeah. given the situation with like tacky leaving all of a sudden it's good that he's like trying to make things more comfortable and again like julie had a point like you were a junior you know how these boys feel you're also a father so you know how children in general feel and it's it, it's not so much that like he might have different opinions than julie which granted probably happens quite often right 
But it's that once the two of them reach an agreement, if Inohara says it to the boys, it's going to have a different weight. Right? Mm. Where it's somebody who's gone through the juniors program is also saying, hey, this is probably a good idea. That's probably going to feel a little bit different. Definitely. Um, Inohara is also getting support from his um his peers in the company like other talents so kanjani eight member tariyoshi okura who's also the producer of, John, of kansai johnny's jr they talk a lot about just like the company and things going forward and also um tokyo member taichi kokuban i always thought his name was funny because it's like kokuban i think of like kokoban i almost write kokoban sometimes i read his name a cocoa bun does sound delicious. It's like it's like a it's like a pan au chocolat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Taichi Kokuban. Um, he wants to create a space where he can talk to people who are on the verge of debuting, Inohara and um the boys that are soon to debut. Mm-hmm. But basically, like what, three days, four days after he took on this role, um show and the Utahs from King and Prince decided that they were they announced that they were leaving and then on December that was on November 4th I think he took over on Halloween and then on November November 4th um the King and Prince demise happened and then November 20th um Bunshin revealed that Impactors is leaving the company and so yes and so, are they really leaving? Some people have been just like, they're leaving, they're leaving. Um, but the thing is, though, is that it's not official that they're leaving. So they asked him about it. And he said, is the news true that they're leaving? And he said, yes. In mid-November, I went to Shonen Club to see them in their dressing room to talk about new work opportunities for 2023. Before I could do so, they told me of their intent. I was surprised, but I get it. The conversation was short, but I could tell that they had seriously considered their future and made an important decision. I want to send them off comfortably as the same man as the same Johnny. So, um, we had to make a note um at this portion um editor's note the original article has a more direct answer to the question of impactors leaving than what inohara implied there is no definitive news that the group is leaving the company and there will be no statement made by the company in regards to such at this time so yes so basically impactors leaving johnny associates it is not known whether that will happen yes or no but um another thing is that because they are a juniors group there will never really be a big official announcement like the announcement we got yesterday of um kim miyaki leaving the company yeah yeah which we'll talk about next month um so yes so like the quotation was taken a bit out of context and we were informed of this so we decided to make a little note there um so 
speaking okay this is like something that johnny's has been plagued with rumor of for years um speaking of leaving the reporter said that until recently management companies would engage in the blacklisting of the former talents but inahara says this is no longer done in the industry and i feel like you have an opinion on this so it's no longer proactively done um Actually, it is not Johnny who was hit with the fine with this, if you remember. Who it was, was it? LPH. Oh, really? I don't recall it was that. The government, the government did a lawsuit of multiple agencies. The first one that they named was actually LDH. That's why the industry no longer does this, right? LDH Blacklist. Uh, this is back when they actually had quite a bit of power. So I think they were better able to blacklist people back then than mm. they are now. Um, that being said, right, it's like one thing to blacklist someone at, proactively, and it's another thing for people to be like, well, this is kind of awkward, so we're probably just never going to invite you again. I think the second is definitely happening. But the first absolutely does not happen anymore. It's like de facto rather than de jure. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, that does make sense. It's kind of just like, well, we really like them and they can bring us higher ratings. And we really like you, but they bring us higher ratings. So um, no hard feelings. Unless they bring us higher ratings and more like they actually have a future as in like they're going to bring a line of future talents right mm -hmm. they're not gonna put all their eggs in one basket yeah Um, continuing, he says, it goes without saying that each talent has their own life. Johnny's isn't the only option in life. My former V6 group member, Go Morita, quit the company. It's true that the group disbanded because of that, but it wasn't negative for us. Everyone was in their 40s and Masayuki Sakamoto approaching 50. I had a career and somehow I was able to do it smoothly. But thanks to Morita, I can say, let's do it seriously. And we were able to end V6 cleanly while still embracing each other. He says that he feels the same way, the same way about King and Prince. Although they wanted to expand overseas, it is said that they decided to withdraw because they did not agree with the company's policy. Of course, it's sad to see friends leave, but we will continue to be friends who fight together in the entertainment industry. I haven't heard from them that they have different policies regarding overseas expansion, so I don't know the truth. But if they want to, I think they should do it in the, do it to their heart's content because life is a battle while you're young. So that is confronting the rumor that basically the group is disbanding because of international ambitions not being met. Um, it's like there are different reasons at play there, but like he pretty much like spoke to the rumor. Because that's one thing I really liked about this piece was that, like, he was just, like, confronting all the rumors surrounding the company. That's why I, like, really spent hours on this piece. Um, so, of the reports that talents are rebelling against Julie, he said, 
I never really heard of it. Every time something like this comes out, there is inevitably negative press coverage, various <laughs> rumors and speculations fly around. But if it's an empire that has been built upon interfering by someone's life, it should have collapsed by now. Johnny and Associates has been here for 61 years. If it weren't for the kindness of people who care about their colleagues' positions and lives, the company definitely wouldn't have been able to make it this far. If the company wasn't how it is, if the company wasn't how it is, I wouldn't be the president here. And um, also, okay, okay. So everyone knows I am not an anti, but I am certainly critical, right? But to suggest that this company is going to collapse because people are rebelling left and right is kind of ridiculous. When you look at a company that literally has not been this strong in like 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I actually can't remember the last time it was this strong. I think that might have been uh at the peak of Arashi. Yeah. And if you remember the run on talent, um, that happened at the end of that peak, right? Because with Arashi, you had like Captain, and then Captain fell apart. And that spelled the end of that er like era of Johnny's. Hmm. And, and he here he is confronting more rumors in regards to the rumor that Takizawa was starting his own company and poaching talents from Johnny's. Inohara says, "I don't know at all. I really don't know. But if it is true that he wants to start his own company, just do it. When a man turns twenty, it's naturally wants to do something on his own. If Takizawa creates a new company as a manager, has fans there, and everyone can live happily, I would like to say to him, let's work together to revitalize the entertainment industry." If Takizawa creates a new... Okay. Sorry, I was like reading the wrong line. Um, I would I would like to tell him that we will continue to do our best to liven up the entertainment industry together. I don't like fighting. So he also talked about Takizawa Kabuki ending. And at first they were just like, you should just keep it going and call it Inahara Kabuki. And he was just like, <laughs> um, no, um... I think it's best that we just end it as he's like, he's left the company. So it's best if we just like let him have his own project and just end it. Um, and then he said something to the fans, which is something we were talking about earlier. Inahara spoke, Inahara took to speaking to the fans who are worried about the departure of so many of the talents as of late. When V6 was disbanding, I said half jokingly, all the fans look sad, but we're not going to die. The three departing members of King Prince will continue to live. That's why you should live where you want to try the most. Again, Johnny's isn't everything. I believe it's important for everyone to live a healthy and happy life. What I have to do now as president is cherish the children who are still working hard. I like this place, so I want to protect it. And I want to sincerely face the juniors who say they like Johnny's and give them as many chances as possible. So again, and this is something I literally had to say yesterday um, in the comments. Just because Ken left, Ken leaving is not the same thing as like show and the Utah's leaving. It probably is somewhat closer to why Taki left because 
they're both men over 40. Um, they both probably felt like, you know what? I've done everything I wanted to do here. It's time to go. I want to it's, like. Okay. Quite frankly, I actually wasn't surprised yesterday. Um, by the way, so just FYI, we are recording on February the 21st. It is exactly one day after Miyaka Ken decided to leave. And the main reason why I knew that like Miyaki was starting to prepare to leave and it wasn't like a sudden departure is because either last month or the, I think it was actually in January, um, he handed over the reins to one of his longest programs. The, the um, sign language mm-hmm. program on NHKE to Sakuma Daisuke. Oh, from Snowman. Yeah. And I'm like, why would somebody who is 40-something hand over, like, basically, this is one of those programs that you know. Um, First off, the government is funding because everyone learning sign language, very, very good idea. Um, It's better for everyone, better for the people who need it, and, you know, it's just a good life skill in general. And it's never going to end because the viability of a program like that does not depend on ratings. It just depends on whether or not the government service. Exactly. And so like you would never give that up unless you were going to change something drastic. Right. Mm. So when he was like, Oh, I'm going to hand it off to my Kohai. I was like, Oh, you're preparing to leave. That's what this means. And not just leave like the program. You're you're thinking about some drastic life change. I mean, we basically have already like brought in him leaving, so we might as well just include it in this episode. Yes, um, Miyaki Ken of V Six is leaving the company on May second, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the reason that he is leaving that he said is very closely related to the speculated reason why Takizawa left. And so basically, people are just trying to link all this stuff together. Showing the Utah's leaving is one thing. They're in their 20s. They're at the peak of their career. Kin and Taki leaving completely... Also, too, they had a unit together. They were Kin Taki. So, like... And they had, like, a Kentucky Fried Chicken ad, too. Um, it makes <laughs> sense. I mean, let, I mean, yeah. So they were, like, a unit together. Um, did Ken leave because Tacky left? Uh, I don't know. But the thing is, well, though, they are both... prompted him to think. To think. Right? To, like, consider it. Because, okay, so I don't remember Tacky's age when um, he started at Johnny's. But... Miyaki Ken, like Ono, which we are going to discuss in a little bit, um, like so many other idols, literally started, and I've just checked this on the wiki, he started at 14. Can you Hmm. imagine working from the age of 14 to 44, I think he is now, right? 43, 44. He'll be 44 in July. Yeah. Can you imagine working 30 years, no break? That's I mean, he, 
he was like 15 or 16 when he debuted in V6. And then he debuted on immediate, almost immediately after he joined the company because he joined in 93 and he debuts in 95, which for yeah. Johnny is like very short. So he was in V6. He joined when he was like 15 or he, V6 debuted 14, when 14. he was like 15 or 16. Uh-huh. And then he was in the group for 26 years. 26 years in a group is a long time. And 26 years as a consistent, like, entertainer. This man has never had a day off in his life. And so the thing is, though, is that with Tacky, people were saying just like, the theory is, is that he made a promise to Johnny that he was going to debut his groups and that he was going to debut a group internationally. And then once he did that, that was it. Because, like, he, because um, Travis Japan debuted internationally on Friday and then Tacky decided he was, he announced that he was leaving on Monday. But what so do you think? Of, with, like, Tacky isn't married either, right? Exactly. They're both like not, they're both over 40, married, not married, no children. So that's yeah, why like, so, I'm thinking just like there are parallels here. Yeah. It's also just like, okay. So I wrote the, I wrote the piece about like, you know, Arashi now has three fathers, right? And everyone's like, when's, when's Matsujin gonna announce something? And I'm just like, the man has been working nonstop and is now on a taiga drama. <laughs> Does he even have time to date? And then I have my miracle that Nino Mia has met someone. I am not surprised that Miyake Ken has not met anyone yet. Um, um what was I gonna say? The thing with Ken is that my own personal theory was. Because the thing is, though, is that like Ken is the one out of out of everyone in V six and out of like a lot of the older Johnnies, he is the one that like is very devoted to being an idol. Like the day that V six broke up, they had their final concert, and then he went and did his like overnight radio show, and he talked about like his feelings and everything, and then he basically like debuted his instagram page and like literally his bio is just like miyaki ken idol and like for those of you who don't know uh (laughs) so the reason why the idol monkier is so important is not just because of um the stereotypes that people tend to attach to it it's that at it's most fundamental there's like this idea that you're just continuously work like crazy it's a very Mm. very hard role to live up to and the fact that like he literally put like kemiake idol says a lot (laughs) it was just like hey my group just disbanded i did the concert i left the concert went to my radio show i started my new instagram and like yeah that basically is like being an idol in a nutshell because like the last day of v6 i remember writing the article was just like well we got together we planted a tree we dedicated the tree to the city and to the future generations then we had our final concert and then everyone went home i guess after the final concert but he like kept working he was like oh i'm just gonna like you know announce the debut of my solo activities like the same night on my radio show so yeah continually working 
But the thing with Ken is that I think it was, this is my own personal theory. He just wanted to see if he could do it on his own. He was just like, I've been in this group for 26 years. Can I actually like do this on my own? And then like he released his mini album last year. It was number one. So like he had some success with it and he was kind of just like, maybe just like, you know what? I can do it on my own. And he was basically just like, I'm going to rest. He's entering a recharging period, but he'll be back. Yes, um, Miyaki. He's one of my favorite of the Johnnies. Um, And it's not just because he looks very youthful at the age of like 43. (laughs) That's not the only reason why. It's not Uh just because he's uh hot. Um, Okay. Hannah, wow. Also, <laughs> what? Wow. What? what? Way to give it away. Um, he also has been on variety shows several times talking about his what, Hannah? Not sure. Something very, something very close to me. His what? art collection. Oh, like he's been on like variety shows talking about just like, yes, I have so-and-so by this person and so-and-so by this person. And like, he's like literally like sat up on variety shows talking about contemporary Japanese art. And I'm just like, oh, this is very Ronald geared content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but can, so like, yeah, so that basically is like a little insert of like Ken Miyake leaving the company right in the middle of the Inahara interview thing. So back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, but yeah, I just like felt that that really fit in there because like Ken yesterday really is living up to what his former group member said, where like Johnny's isn't everything. And also, like, okay. Like, as an Idol fan, as a very, very long-time Idol fan, there's a difference between um, somebody like Kawaii Udina or Hirate Yurina leaving and uh, Miyake Ken leaving. Right? In mm-hmm. the first two. I'm not gonna... I wasn't as big of a Hirano Show fan, so I think like Hirano Show actually fits into these three. Um kind of. Except that in Hirate and Kawaii's cases, due to circumstances outside of their control, they had to cut their idol life short. In fact, like the circumstance is actually the same. It's the trauma that remained from somebody trying to kill them at a handshake event. Right. But like due to circumstances outside of their control, they were not able to finish their idol dreams. Right. And um, both of them left. And that's very sad because you're just like, oh, you had so much more. But when you see like a Miyake Ken or a Taki Lee, you're just like, oh, like you, you had an amazing run. This is this is great. Or like Akimoto Manatsu is gonna leave Nogizaka 46 at the end of February. 
and like Saito Asuka left Nogizaka at the end of last year, right? You're just like, you guys have had an amazing career. You did everything you wanted to do. And now you're going to your next. That is the Johnny's is not everything kind of thing. Being an idol is not everything. Like Ken said, he's like, he's like, I'm going to rest, but I will be back and I'm going to do something new. I'm going to go on my own path. Which is great. And like perhaps that means working with Johnny in the future. Perhaps like that means he does something else. But whatever it is, it's fine because he had an amazing run as a V6 member and as a soloist. I would love it if he did a program on NHK or something about contemporary Japanese art. Because I just think that like (laughs) there are a lot of there are a lot of great artists in Japan currently, but they're not really like exposed. I can totally imagine them doing that. If only because like it would be good for the world to know. Mm. And the so, dudes had okay. what seven years at a freak as a freaking NHKE broadcaster. Basically. So the day that the Inahara article came out, um, Johnny and Associates released a full-page ad in the Nikkei Shimbun with a mission statement for 2023 called Our Promise for 2023. It was signed by Julie. It was the first time the company has publicly done such a thing. Among the four promises are refurbish and strengthen our compliance system, respect for individuality and development of human resources, Prioritize growth opportunities through learning and creating an environment that supports thinking for yourself, providing an opportunity and choice system that respects individuality and changes in thinking, emphasis on dialogue between the and, and the through the introduction of a mentor system, etc. This is Johnny's new initiative to create an environment in which it is easy for talents to voice their opinions. So the first thing I have to say is um, a lot of fans were calling bullshit on this. And I'm just like, good God, you guys, like, it really reminds me of what you've been saying for years, Hannah, is that, like, the fans love the idols, they hate the company. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm, again, like, of the two, I'm definitely the more critical one, right? But the mm-hmm. other thing that I do want to say is, so, and this is going to tie into something that we were going to bring up later, but I think is important to talk bring now the new the coming of age ceremony which hasn't happened for over a decade Mm -hmm. so i read up into model press as to like why exactly they wanted to bring it back right and at first i actually thought it was julie that had this idea of like bringing it back but then we reached out for comment and we received a very very wonderful comment from Inohara actually saying explicitly, we wanted to bring back something for these juniors and these members, like their Kohai members, that kind of signals a new beginning, right? Especially because, like, in very, very real ways, Japan is really entering that final stage of the pandemic where. They're removing their masks. They're able to, like, cheer at concerts and stuff. And basically, it seemed actually more like a member-driven initiative. And so I'm actually not that willing to call bullshit. <laughs> because, because I see it. Just, 
I mean, like, the thing is, though, is that, like, I, I mean, like, I have a reputation now for being a Johnny Shill. But the thing is, though, is that, like, I get so tired of, like, every time the company does something, the fans are just like, this is bullshit. I hate this. Da, 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 da. Like, the thing is, though, is that, like, people constantly going and attacking, like, the Johnny's Twitter account. And it's just like, good God. Like, do you guys, like, like this company at all? Well, no, we hate like I said before, right? Like the the fans love the idols. They hate the company. Right. The company mm-hmm. is there to kind of be the shield. Going back to the interview. When I heard about this from Julie, I said that I would like to help as much as I can. When I joined Johnny's, it was still a small company, and the distance between the manager and the talent was so close that I would go bowling or skate with, skating with Johnny. However, the number of people has increased steadily, and now it's a large company of more than 200 juniors alone. Like, you have to think about, like, when this man joined Johnny's, like... It's very well that he could have, like, when I don't know when... Because if he debuted in 95, he very well could have joined, like, when? Like, possibly, like, late 80s? No, no, he joined in 93. He joined in 93. Inohara joined in 93. Oh, Inohara? Let me see. I will double check for you right now. Because, like, because, like, when he joined, like, you have to think about it, like, he joined like before Smap debuted, probably. Because you have to think about how much of a senpai he is. Yeah. Like eighty-eight. He's like at the age of he twelve. Joined in, <laughs> he joined in eighty-eight. He joined in eighty-eight. Mm-hmm. He joined in eighty-eight. So the thing is, though, is that like literally when he joined, the top groups in the company were Shonen Tai. Otokogumi and Hikaru Genji. Like, Hikaru Genji, like, had just debuted. What do you say? Hikaru Genji was still around? Hikaru Genji had just debuted. Can you check that for me, please? Hikaru Genji. Because I was thinking just, like, he definitely has been around longer. Yeah, literally, literally a year after Hikaru Genji debuted. Yeah, so literally this man, like thinking how small the company was, it was kind of just like they had like what five acts. So I'm just thinking how small the company was back then and like how big it is now. And it's just like he really has like seen a lot of change. Um, um but I'm trying to finish up this interview, but it's so lengthy and it's so, I mean, like, I really do like the fact that he did this interview. So I'm just like, oh, we literally have him like sit down and just answer all the questions. Um, so going back, he said, I'm until now there has been an environment where talents who have troubles can consult with seniors and staff. But from now on, we will develop it as a more open window. When I became president and talked to the juniors, there was a lot of reactions like, is it OK to say this? Each time I would reply with, OK, OK, keep going. There were quite a few who were hesitant and couldn't express themselves fully. 
So basically, he says that, and he, that he doesn't sleep a lot. That he's like very busy in his new role because he is still a talent. He's still a talent, but he's also like the president too. So he's like doing a lot of stuff. Um, the other day, a junior like action. <laughs> yeah. The other day, a junior asked him what he should be called, and he, like, said Inochi. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, yes, this is, this is, uh, this is a note to just read the entire fucking. Yeah, because I'm just, like, skimming this. It took me hours to do this. Um, because, like, the thing is, though, is that sometimes people get annoyed that I don't, like, do, like, direct quotes for everything, but I'm just, like, that would literally take me so long. But, like, for this one, I was, like, oh, this is worth the time to, like, actually get the direct quotes instead of just, like, paraphrasing. Um, he enjoys interacting with the juniors and that Johnny and Takizawa must have seen their growth this way, too. Of course, not all of them make their debut and get the spotlight, but I want them to grow up to be adults who won't be embarrassed when they go into society. Johnny's isn't everything, and even after I quit, my life will continue for a long time. I want them to grow up and be able to contribute to society even when they get old, so I will continue to face them. And that is the interview. So what did you think of the interview as a whole, Anna? I mean, like I said, the interview was really good, but... The interview taken in conjunction with the ad and the triple whammy of like, I mean, okay, I am attracted to pretty things. I'll be very blunt. So when I saw the Johnny's coming of age ceremony, which is always the best part about being an idol fan, like a J-pop idol fan, any year, you're just like... This is the best time of the year, right? You're so so that, excited about that. Well, it's like pretty people in really pretty clothing that you rarely get to see, which is why I did like 15 posts on it. So talk a bit about the coming of age ceremony, like things you haven't said so far. I mean, it's not just the fact that like the coming of age ceremony was done this year. For Johnny's, which, by the way, I have actually never seen a Johnny's coming of age ceremony because um, by the time I got into Arashi, all of my favorite members were already adults. Of age. So, yeah, of age. So, like, they didn't I didn't really follow the juniors at the point. So I didn't even know that the coming of age ceremony had been discontinued. I just thought Johnny's never did one. Right. And I was like, hmm, well, if I was a girl fan, I would definitely demand photo cards at the very least. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I came back and they were like, oh, it's been like 15 years and we wanted to see this come back. Um, I was just like, wow, that's that's really nice. And then when we got the confirmation that it was like the other members, the older members being like, hey, it would be really cool if we had this back. And I think one of the older members was um was uh Fumaki Fumaki Kuchi from Sexy Zone, I think was one of the members. And the direct comment came from Inoharo being like, we wanted this event for these new juniors. So to see, like, literally, it was 
my favorite member from Naniwa Danshi, Michishige, right next to Inohara. And I'm just like, wait, you have a favorite member of Naniwa Danshi? Because, like, he's in all the movies. And he looks really cute. I may be a little bit superficial. Uh, Hannah's a Nani Don fan. Well, they just like Japanese entertainment more. I'm just saying. Right? That's why I like Sakuma the most. Okay? He is into variety. Oh my god. I've been saying, I've been saying for like two years, like... Hannah, you should like look at him. You should like follow him. You should. I think you would like Snowman if you had like, gotten to him. And you were like, he's a fake weeb. I don't believe that like a Johnny's could really be a weeb or an otaku. And now you're just like, oh my I god, take he it actually. All back. To this. I like, take really it all back. I thought him being an otaku was like a marketing scheme. It wasn't. It's real. He really is one of us. Yeah. So I fully accept him. He's pretty cool. I was like, Hannah, during like their pre-debut concert, um, each member had to do a personalized segment and he did Ultake. And you were just like, someone just taught him how to do that. He doesn't actually do it on his own. And now you're like, oh, he actually does do that on his own. But it's more than that. It's that like, you can tell that he has the spirit of like an otaku. The pink hair. No, 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 no. When he was talking to Hoshimachi Suisei and was able to recite her entire discography in like three seconds, right? Then I was like, oh, you're really one of us. <laughs> How did it take you to do that? I wouldn't be able to do that. I'm not like, I don't think I'm as big of a Hoshimachi Suisei fan. I think for the people that I like as much as he does, I could probably do that. But to do that for Hoshimachi Suisei, who has had a considerable number of releases, like, that is impressive. That's also a very otaku thing to do. So, um, the thing that I was most excited for in Johnny's World in January... um, This was very, very... It was very Ronald geared content. Um, So um, I was told that something very special will be happening in January. And I was just like anticipating it. And then it happened and I was just like, oh my God. So I am talking about Raw going to Paris to make his Fashion Week debut. Um, I was just like, oh, this is really good. I remember like last year he did the, he did the Yoji Yamamoto show that was in, that was part of Paris Fashion Week, but it was shot in, in stream from Japan. And this year the Yoji show actually returned to France. So he went to France to be in the show. But the thing is, though, is that I also like the fact that he did not just go just to that show and just, like, did that show, but he actually, like, fully partook 
in fashion week as in like going to other shows as well like he went to he went to Givenchy he went to Paul Smith he went to a few other ones and the thing is though is that and this is the one of the things I've always have like been very just like annoyed about as far as Japanese entertainment goes is the fact that fashion week especially in Paris is a giant marketing exercise and the fact that Japanese entertainers do not partake in this has annoyed me to no end and the ones that do partake in it is kind of just like why are you here like i remember like i think like 10 years ago like shishido kafka like cute girl she had a, she had a couple of nice songs but i'm just like why are you at the dior show like rihanna's here why are you here why is like rihanna's equivalent not here hannah explain why rihanna's equivalent would not be at a fashion show in paris so it's because they would need to take too much time off. It's actually the main reason why um, the only conventions where you would get like the most top tier voice actors are either the ones that you can get to from Japan within six hours because they would just fly there within six hours and literally go back the, uh, the same day or you just never see them at all. Um, it would just take too much money to have to pause all of their activities to get them to go over, right? Mm. Like, a really good example is, say someone wanted uh, Sashi Haradino to go over to France for Fashion Week, right? Sashi Haradino, I think, is in charge of something anywhere between 7 to 12 shows at any given moment. For her to have to take that much time off, impossible. Not even talking about all of the production stuff that she does. I mean, I know there are some people who are like, she doesn't really do any of the production stuff, right? But even then, like, she still needs to be there to, like, stamp everything, right? Way too much time. So... The fact, okay, the fact that we even got McGurl Ren to be there for even just a single day. To lend support to his group mate. And like, I was actually notified in our comments that when I posted out the photos during Fashion Week, somebody was like, did you know they talked about this on a live stream like two years ago or something? And I was like, oh, that's so cute. Why did nobody mention this in an article? So I like immediately tweeted that out, right? But like the fact that they actually sent out Ren even for a day is huge. Yeah. So the thing is, though, is that they were just like, yeah, we're sending Raul. He's going to be in the Yoji show. And he's also going to be opening his own Instagram um, for his own, like, solo activities. So the thing is, though, is that, like, Johnny's knows what they have with Raul. I mean, like, he's stunning to look at. He's, like, 6'3 now. It's like, this boy is a model. So there's so like a K-pop term called your visual bias versus your, um, so you have like a regular bias, right? That is your main bias, your main focus. 
Um, mm-hmm. That's the person that you gravitate towards to the most. But then there's the quote unquote visual bias, which based on appearances alone, this is your favorite. And I have to be like, it actually makes me feel kind of bad that it's Raul because he's so young. But like at the same time, he he looks really great. <laughs> it's kind of just like. Because the videos were coming out, like I remember like being in Ghana and like watching like the first videos and being just like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. Um, because like if you see the man. He stands out in a crowd. Like, I'm literally, I was, like, watching one of the videos and, like... Wasn't one of one your favorite came... Raul photos taken in Paris? I forget which show it was. The Givenchy one. Yeah. I was like, what well, is this photo? I, I have a, and you were just like, this I is have... so... Oh, the camp photo of him just, like, with the sunglasses with his mouth open, just like, ah! Like that. Yeah, I love that photo. But, like, there was this one photo... I mean, this one video that came out of him, like, in Paris, and this girl came up and was just like, she's like, are you Raul? And she was like, you know me? And she's like, yes, I love Snowman. And then, like, one of the managers, like, hands her a business card, and she's just like, yeah. The manager's just like, yeah, look at the business card. And I'm just like, oh, my God. This is what the company should have been doing all along. You send your, like, tall, beautiful boy out into the world Send him to Fashion Week, which is just, like, pretty much, like, the place where, like, he can capitalize on his looks. Like, spread his information. This is what you should be doing, Johnny's. This is what you should be doing in general Japan. Like, that's always annoyed me that, like, Japan... Um, I'm kind of, like, giving away, like, my own actual, like, real profession. But the thing is, though, is that, like, Japan has been one of the top luxury markets for decades and the fact that they do not actually go and push their celebrities more into that field has annoyed me to no end for decades and you're actually starting to see a change somewhat and i know like if they had like the same cachet as like the k-pop stars right because like yes you saw a little bit of it way back in the day with some of the AKB girls, but like you don't see it now ever with like any of the Nogizaka girls, which it's which was always really confusing to me because like Nogizaka was always supposed to be the fashion model one. Mm-hmm. So I was like, why I'm, aren't they going? I'm literally thinking of that meme of like the black house and like the pastel house. That was Wait, like what? supposed to be like the meme that's like, this is Nogizaka and this is Kiyakizaka. And it's like that black house and then like the pastel colored house, the meme of the neighboring houses. Oh God. And you the way it actually works. But it's just like the thing is though, is that like K pop has managed to go and literally like K pop has managed to use Fashion Week as like a marketing tool. And Japan is finally, I don't even want to say Japan because basically so far it's kind of just been Johnny's and just like this one instant, but it's kind of just like um, they're coming around to it. And I'm like very happy to see that. And maybe we can see Rao in Milan or or who else could they send? I mean, like they could send Ren. 
mean, they could send like they could send any of like the boys. Well, to be frank, just... you probably want. So the way that K-pop tends to do it is the one that does not get sent to variety shows all the time is the one like the the best looking one. They'll be like, okay, you, you're not going to be on variety shows. You're just going to be on fashion magazines 24-7. So basically, that being said in Snowman, it would be like the center triangle, which is um, mm-hmm. Ralph Ren and Hikaru. Exactly. So like, you would be like, Ren, go make 50 movies a year. And Raul will be grace every fashion magazine cover until the end of the year, right? And Hikaru just graces the covers of all the fitness magazines. Wow! Somebody's tastes are very specific. Yes. Um, But yeah, and also too, they're all like, I think Hikaru's the shortest out of the three. I mean, like, if you call 5'11 short, but like... It's not really short. 5'11 is not really short. 5'11 is like taller than most men around the world. Um, It's definitely taller than like the average Japanese man. But like 5'11, 6'1, and 6'3. The average Japanese man is like how tall? Like 5'7? I'm not sure. But whatever it is, it doesn't matter because that's still really tall. 5'7 is really tall? No, no, no. 5'11. Oh, yeah. 5'11 is really tall. So I remember like watching. Imani, friend of the show, she watched Kohaku with us on the live stream, and she saw, she saw Ren, and she was just like, "Good God, how tall is that boy?" And I was like, "He's six three. Wait, you mean Raul? Was, yeah, Raul. Raul. She was just like, "I have not seen a man, a Japanese man, that tall since I've been here, like the." what 13 years i've been here i have not seen a man japanese man that tall i'm like well they do exist and johnny somehow managed to find a bunch of them that are around the six foot mark um but yeah i was just like really glad that they have like started using this and like also too like they're the snowman's the tiffany's ambassador so like they have that tie to lvmh which is like the world's largest luxury conglomerate for those who do not know LVMH stands for Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. Ronald, Ronald is a very big fan. This is a warning. <laughs> oh, God. So Louis Vuitton, they own Louis Vuitton. They own Loewe, one of my personal faves. They own Celine Givenchy. They own uh, yeah. Christian Dior. They own a lot. So they own a lot of brands. Wait, and let me so- make myself comfortable before you start on your monologue about LVMH. My, I don't have a, no, I was just like saying the brands they own. And they also own Tiffany's, which is yeah, one of their is, most recent acquisitions. LVMH owns a lot of stuff. Um, so the thing is, all though, is the fact that. Favorite things. Not all of my favorite things, but the fact, oh my God, I think, does LVMH own Christie's or is that Kearing that owns Christie's? I can't remember. Anyway, 
Um, yes, I'm so glad that they have managed to go and connect themselves to um, the international fashion world. I want to see more of this, not just from Johnny's, but from Japanese entertainment in general. I mean, like, the only person I can think of that, like, is um, constantly related to Japanese, to, um, to the fashion world um, would be the Japanese Chanel ambassadors, which is one of my personal favorites, Hio Miyazawa. He's like um, a Chanel ambassador. And then um, his female partner in that is Nikaido Fumi. So, yeah. Let's see more of this trend, shall we, Japan? Yes. So, this is a long-ass Johnny's Corner. So, um, Snowman's show, the variety show that's on TBS, it was rumored to be moving to prime time, and now it is moving to prime time. Um, the show is called Sorry Snowman Ni Yarasete Kurasai. Sorry. Um, it was originally airing at 1 p.m. on Sunday afternoons and is now going to prime time. And they are the first of the new generation Johnny's groups to be able to do this. Until then, SMAP, Tokyo, V6, and Arashi were the only ones to have their variety shows in prime time. Um, Snowman, Stones, and King and Prince, they have not reached this point yet. But Snowman has been able to do it because they did do a test run of the show in primetime, and it went very well with viewers and with the people at the station. It hit the key demographic of families between the ages of 4 and 49, the one that TBS loves the most, so it makes sense for them to move the show to primetime. So congratulations, Snowman. You guys are really doing a lot right now. What are your thoughts on this, Hannah? So it's like a return to normal, because the previous Golden Time ones were the Tokyo one, the Arashi one, and you said the V6 one? Yes. And all those groups had disbanded. Or, like, are on hiatus. I know I'm not supposed to say that Adashi is disbanded, but they might as well be. They're, they're, they're kind of on perma-break. And, like, as much copium as I'm on, I know they're not going to come back. And all of those, like, variety shows have ended. So it's kind of weird to look at the Japanese like timetable and be like all of the all the primetime Johnny's variety shows are gone and like AK Bingo is gone there's no idol variety shows now so I'm just like what is going on <laughs> so it's it's a return to normal speaking as an idol fan Mm. Yes. So this is like this is kind of like the snowman section of Johnny's corner. Yeah, this um, is basically so, you just fanboying over snowman for 30 minutes. Um so snowman is the first act of the new era to have two million selling albums. So their first album. Yeah, they only they have two albums. There's there's um 
there's Snowmania S1, and then there's Snow Labu S2. So it took Snowmania S1 about a year to hit a million. It took Snow Labu S2 about four months to hit a million. So they are the first act of the Lewa era to have two million selling albums. Um, you forget another important key point, though. What? Which is that they may be the first to do this back to back, but they are the first since I think chemistry or yes, gospel. They are the they are the first act. They are the first act since chemistry in two thousand January two thousand three to have their first two albums hit the million mark. And the first in general to have this back to back. Wait, no. Orkhan didn't mention that, so I didn't say anything. I just did what Orkhan said. They didn't say back-to-back like back in general. But um, there, have been five, there have been five albums this era that have hit a million. So in chronological order, they are um, Arashi, 5 times 20 all the best, 1999, 2019. Um, Yunezu Kenshi, Stray Sheep, BTS, BTS mm-hmm. the best. Snowman, Snowmania S1, Snowman, Snow Labu S2. So those are your five albums that have hit a million this era. What do you think of that list, Hannah? It's truly the era of men. Right. Yes. I was kind of saying this, I think, either in the previous episode or just like it's been a constant theme in general, but I feel like we've really entered the age of men. Um, in terms of both Idol Land and in terms of soloists. Oh, this actually fits into Johnny's corners. So, but not really. Um, I don't remember who it is, but so if you go into your convenience store, you know the complaint that like a lot of a lot of like non um, East Asians will go into convenience store and then they'll look at the magazine rack and it's half like girls in bikinis. In Japan, this is right. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why I mentioned that is that for the first time ever. One of the major Gravida publishers, I think it's Young Magazine, like one of the manga publishers, is actually not going to have a girl in the bikini as the cover. It's going to be a guy. Who's it going to be? Uh, I forget exactly who it was. This was a tweet, which is my bad. Um, but this is a very historic change. And when I wrote that, I was like, wow, we are really in the age of men. <laughs> I just remember going to going into like Lawson, like when I first got to Japan, going into Lawson. And um, I remember being just like looking, I remember looking at Natalie and being just like, oh my God, I should buy this magazine when I get to Japan. And then I got to Japan and I went to Lawson by my hotel and I was just like, oh my God, here it is. And it's like a cover of on on. And like Hirano shows wearing like a white <laughs> button down. He's wearing like a white button down shirt and his like his um his sleeves are rolled up and like the veins on his forearms are just like insanely I think he showed me this one. And I was just like, oh my God. But yeah, it's I, just really funny because like Anon's had 
more guy solo covers in the past like six months or so than I've seen them have in like the 10 years prior to that. But the thing about the Anon covers, and this is like something I think about now, like looking at that like Hirano show cover. Um, this is something we discussed before, is that you think the Anon covers are made for the male gaze and not the female gaze, even though the article, even though the audience is female, correct? Sometimes, sometimes. There are times, though, when I'll see it and I'll be like, oh, this is for the horny woman out there. <laughs> Do women like large forearm veins? Like, some women do. There are definitely women who are into bara men. Like, mookie mookie, like, very muscular men, right? Mm. Those sorts of men exist. I mean, like, men lovers definitely exist. So, it's funny that I just brought up show, um, because, Hannah, when I was on vacation, you released an article talking about how Johnny's wants Bunshin to take down their King and Prince articles? Well, one of them, one of them. So there was one that alleged that Julie Kitagawa was unduly harassing a lot of the members, and this was the reason why they left. And Bunshin was like, we're going to fight this in court. And I was like, huh, interesting. Because this is actually something that um, people kind of tried to do in the past, but it fell out of favor as like a as like a rebuttal tactic. And now people just like stick to stick to just saying, "Hey, like, you know, this is totally false. Don't believe it." But this time around, I think. They probably angered Johnny's a little bit too much when they accused Julie Kirigawa of like actually mentally abusing her members, which oh when I read that, I was like, oh my God, what are you, what are you guys saying? <laughs> I've read a lot of Bunshin articles and that one was, uh, was a bit over the top. <laughs> Julie just like terrorizing and harassing the the boys. It's kind of like hilarious to think about. On this side of the Pacific, though, I can tell you, fans were very happy that Johnny's has decided to fight back. Although part of the reason why it fell out of favor is that in general, this actually tends to make the scandal like stay longer in the public eye. So that's actually why they stopped doing it. Um, mm -hmm. I do think in egregious cases like this, it's totally fine to do so. So we were just talking about rumors at Johnny's and we're going to continue <laughs> with the rumors at Johnny's because we're going to um, one of Hannah's favorites. That me very much. I have what come to terms with it. But it's the fact that Arashi is basically completely dead because Ono Satoshi will leave Johnny's. It's a rumor that he's going to leave Johnny's because he's opening a resort in Miyakojima, Okinawa Prefecture. Um, next <sighs> month, 
next month it is set to open. So any day now it should be opening. Um, a writer that lives on the island said, Oh, no plans to not only open a resort on the island, but also an Italian restaurant. He spends his spare time fishing and living a life of leisure compared to his idle days. His look is his current look is swarthy. So I'm just imagining him like walking around Miyakojima with like messy hair and like a scraggly beard. You know, very you, know what? you know what? I get it. Just like what we were saying before, right? Like with Miyaki Ken and everyone, he also joined at the age of 14. And he was forced to by his mother and his and his sister, right? I think so. Yeah, like he definitely didn't want to become an idol and he kind of got pushed into it. And literally a month afterwards, he was like running around being like a backup dancer for Tokyo. Right? And he made a CD debut the year afterwards. And then he debuts, like, in Arashi, like, five years after that, right? So I get it. I get it. He's been working for a really, really long time. But still, it's kind of devastating. So it was reported in March of 2016 that he created a hospitality company. And the company bought a large piece of beachfront land on Miyakojima. And since then, they have been building the resort. And an Italian restaurant is going to be in the resort. Um, according to an inter- entertainment production staff member, Johnny's are not allowed to have side businesses, but Ono's business proves otherwise. He has a partner in the company who acts as the public face of the company. According to an entertainment writer, the business partner is a member of a TV production company who Ono became known to through his TV work. But there is a reason why Johnny's has agreed somewhat to Ono's side business. According to the entertainment writer, the reason is the huge sales from Arashi's fan club, which Ono manages, as well as that Arashi will resume activities as soon as possible. The writer also said that his business partner, his business partner is being leaked by someone close to the company in an effort to get Ono to return to work. However, Ono has been severely, uh, sorry, Ono has allegedly been pushed further from resuming activities due to his sudden departure of Takizawa. According to the writer, even before his hiatus, Ono had no intention to resume activities. But basically, Takizawa leaving, who Ono has been part of Johnny's Jr. with and who respected Ono, even though he is a junior, made him lose what desire he had to return to the company. With Ono's resort opening soon, he and Johnny's must decide whether or not he will remain in the company. So dramatic. Uh, Okay, also, like, the ban on side businesses is probably... Okay, okay, so this is actually what... The ban on side businesses is actually not true. There's that, but there's also, like... I just remember Matchy's, like, car... Racing car business. And I'm like, where the hell do you get a ban on businesses when... The previous president, like, the previous, like, Johnny's member elevated to board member had a freaking racing car company. <laughs> a racing car company that was founded by whose money? It was basically, it was basically, wait, was it Akina's money? Nakamori. Yes. It was Akina Nakamori's money that founded that racing car company. 
But yeah, like there's clearly no ban. And it's one of those things where like the AKB dating ban rule, right? It only really exists if you're under a certain age. Past that point, they're just like, you're an adult. You can take care of this yourself. And if I remember correctly, I think it is Okura from Kiss from no Okura from Kanjani. I think that he actually is like on the board of like a yakitori company, like a yakitori restaurant chain company or something like that. So this band that they're speaking of is not true. Yeah, like it wouldn't surprise me if like many, many a 48G member, right? A lot of the Johnny's members also have significant amounts of real estate throughout Japan. Um, that's actually how a lot of the AKB members make money after they graduate. Where, especially if you're a top tier member, you make a ton of money, right? So they basically buy out a ton of real estate throughout the country and rent it out to people. They're landlords, yes, if you are listening. Oh my god, no, we hate landlords for some reason. Well, I can kind of understand it in most parts, but like in Japan, they actually have pretty uh, good rental control. Ways of keeping rents at a reasonable pace, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of Johnny's members also do that. And part of the reason why they had this quote unquote ban is so that the members can discuss it with the company so they don't get duped into things because that would be bad. Yeah, because the last thing you want is just like Satoshi Ono flop business, um, flop hotel business in debt to Yakuza. Like, yeah, it's like the last exactly, thing. Exactly. Like that would be front page, like not even not even bunshin that would be on like Ashai. one of those sports newspapers right mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah it's not so much a ban as it is please consult us before doing anything <laughs> so wow that was a long time but we are now out of johnny's corner And we're going to a sad place. What? We're going to a sad place now. What's a sad place? Uh, So the thing is, though, is that I was on vacation. I literally remember the exact moment. It was about, I want to say, 8 o'clock Saturday night in Ghana. And I was like, just like, I was like, oh, my God, I finally have, like, Wi-Fi. I can, like, get on Twitter. And I get on Twitter, and the first thing I see is Akiko Yano, um, one of my faves, who I interviewed a couple of years ago. And I just see her tweet. I see her tweet. YML, YMO goes forever. And I was just like, oh, shit. It happened. I was just like, I was just like, I remember like texting our group chat and being just like, what happened? And you're like, what are you talking about? And I send the tweet and you're just like, we can't. Okay. Because the thing is, though, is that like, we need to be completely honest here. Like 
when I first saw the tweet, I literally thought it was her talking about her ex-husband, Richie Sakamoto. I thought it was like basically her talking about him passing away. Because there were serious concerns at the end of last year due to the fact that like there there still are serious concerns because the thing is though is that when he did his live stream concert, basically he said this is probably gonna be my final concert. And he is in such a weakened state now that, like, he didn't even do the whole concert as one piece. He shot one song a day, and the one song a day, they were put together to create a concert. So he can't even do a full concert now because um, how badly, how far progressed his cancer is. So when I first saw... Akiko's tweet, I was just like, oh, Sakamoto died. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I remember going, no one's, you guys couldn't find anything. I go on Natalie and I'm like, I'm not finding anything. What is going on? So I just started like typing in like Sakamoto. I'm like, nothing is coming up for Sakamoto. Like I did it in English, I did it in Japanese. I'm like, what is. And then I saw it was not Sakamoto. It was. It was someone I was not thinking of because I thought that he had actually had a successful surgery and that he had beat it. And would not be actually, the only one to think so. The, everyone the funny so. thing, the funny thing is that he actually did beat the cancer. It wasn't the can- okay. I'm talking about Yukihiro Takahashi. For those who do not know, um, he was one of the founding members of Yellow Magic Orchestra with Ryuchi Sakamoto and Harumi Hosono. And he passed away. Um, so the thing is, though, it was announced on January 15th, the morning of January 15th in Japan, that he had actually passed away on January 11th. And he passed away due to not the cancer, because if you remember, he had a brain tumor removed, I want to say in 2021. And yeah, he didn't yeah. actually die of cancer. He actually died of pneumonia. Of complications due to it. So part of the reason why it was yeah. so hard to find information for us is that we mostly rely on like the Japanese sources. And unfortunately, all the news of his passing was 3 a.m. Japan time. And if you know yeah. anything about the newspaper on a Sunday morning. Yeah. For even for entertainment publishers, no one works at 3 a.m. in the morning. They'll work until like 2 a.m. And then they'll start working from 5 a.m. This so was one was of the rare. This is one of the rare instances where like Western press was reporting on something Japanese before Japanese press was. Because if it was like eight o'clock in Ghana, that means it was like 3 p.m. Saturday in New York and like noon mm-hmm. in LA. Yeah. And so all of the Western press were very immediate. So, like, basically, all of your, like, I don't want, how do I describe it? I want to say, like, I don't want to say highbrow, but, like, it wouldn't be, like, your... Your music critics. um, Yeah. Were your, the people that you would expect to see at a vinyl shop. Your pitchforks, your people like that. They're kind of just, Mm -hmm. like... Because Yellow Magic Orchestra is one of the creators of electronic music. And then so to have one of the members pass. Yeah, to have one of the members pass, it was like a really big story. 
And I remember just being just like, oh my God. So for those who do not know, um, Yuki Hiro was not just part of Yellow Magic Orchestra. He has been in the music industry for like decades, like so many different acts. Like NHK had a special for him um, on the 11th of this month, February. And it was just like, I remember like them showing just like, his original group he was in, the Sadistic Mika band, they were showing like a performance that they did like in like 1976 on the BBC. So to think that like... After. Yeah. But like to think that like in the 70s, you had like this Japanese band appearing on like a British music show. And then like going on through like Yellow Magic Orchestra and like the man is like the man was still working. I mean, like Meta Five, which is like his group that he has with like Cornelius and Tawate, um, and a few other people. Like they just released an album last year, mm-hmm. so he was like still releasing stuff. Like some of my favorite drummers literally responded. So, um, Nakano Pierre from. Ling Toshite Shibure immediately, I think he was actually awake at the time, was just like, this man is literally the reason I am a drummer today. Like, his influence, particularly in a country that is known... Okay, so for people who are less familiar, um, Visual K is actually very, very well known through like its use of the drumming line. Because X Japan is the founder, Yoshiki, etc., right? And for a lot of reasons, drums are emphasized in Japan in a way that like they aren't really in other parts of the world, right? It's not to say that drums are de-emphasized, but that they're like elevated to the forefront. Um, well, there's a long Japan. history of drumming in Japan. Yeah. But like Takashi is like part of that. Like he is, he's the centerpiece, right? He's one of the centerpieces. Mm -hmm. So a lot of drummers now are just like, this man is the reason I am a drummer. (laughs) I think one of like the oddest responses and some people were like, what does this even mean? Was, um, was Sakamoto, like he tweeted like a gray square. Okay, but people weren't saying, like, what does this mean? People were just like, oh, like, he just doesn't even know what to say. Oh, is that what they were taking it as? Yeah, like, especially in Japan, um, a lot of the articles were just saying, like, we think he's just too stunned to speak. Which makes sense. Somebody that you've known for, they've been working together since the 70s like if you think about so sakamoto is what 70 something right now they're both they're both i think they're both 70 70 like six right no like 70 like just plain even 70 they've known each other almost since right out of their teens like they've known each other for half a century so i can't even imagine what it's what it feels like to suddenly wake up someday and because they were in meta five together too right 
they weren't in Meta 5 together, but they did still... I mean, like, they did still, like, work together from time to time. I mean, like, Yellow Magic Orchestra didn't break up for, like, bad reasons or anything. But the thing is, it was, like, a natural progression. Like, they wanted to do different things. So, like, they still were in, like, contact with each other. Yeah. So, like, I can't imagine what it's like to suddenly wake up and just realize that this friend of so many years is no longer with you. So, so like, like just turned 71 a couple of days after. Oh, wow. So it like a lot of people like, we're like, yeah, like we don't expect him to say anything. But it was just like, uh, I remember just being just like, oh my God, this is like bad because it's just like, I don't know. I mean, like, it's bad, but also, too, it's kind of just, like, it's, like, one, I think it's, like, one of the first people that I listen to in Japanese music who has actually, like, passed away. Like, I know there were actors who have passed away, um, but, like, as far as, like, someone that I actually, like, actively followed and, like, actively listened to... I think it was like the first one. I can't think of another one, but I think this may be like the first one. So I am unfortunately a visual K fan. Mm. So I cannot say the same. <laughs> yeah. But um literally I enter visual K and it's like, oh, this person that you really like just passed away. And I'm like, what? But yes, um Takahashi, he did so much. I mean, like he like he did not only like his he only he wasn't just a little magic orchestra and sadistic Mika band and like Meta Five and and like he also like had his own solo work and like i would say everyone go listen to sarava it's like it's a great i album. have been I... asking ronald our resident yellow magic orchestra expert i was i was the one when we did when we did the banners for open post when we did the banners for open post um hannah was just like you can you can each we can each have like four people we can pick and one of the four i picked was yellow magic orchestra okay and, but i've also um, been asking for an article on ymo for the longest oh time oh my god i've been so busy hannah it's gonna come eventually uh -huh. and i uh -huh. i remember i remember like I, I i picked ymo and someone was just like oh my god who is in the banner like who is this group that one guy is like really hot and i was just like oh that's yukihiro takahashi and that's a photo from like 40 years ago <laughs> they were like oh and from the 1970s but i get it sakamoto it also was, looked really hot in the photo it, it was the shot from um kimini Kim. Kim oh my can't even speak right now kimini Kun, and that video came out in 83 so it's from 40 years ago. And someone was like, oh my God, who is that? The photo that I used for the article. 
I was just like, wow, this is a really like, I know you're not supposed to say this. good looking. Yes. Yeah. He was very stunning in that photo. That's why I chose it. FYI. I remember I did. I remember there. I didn't do it. I remember there was an episode of on Yellow Magic Orchestra, a two part episode on Yellow Magic Orchestra that friend of the show Zach did for his podcast. Um, I'm so popular. And like, I remember just like there was a very lengthy segment talking about how hot Yukihiro was. And it was kind of just like, he was like, Yukihiro was like the one that was like the most like conventionally attractive in the group. And like, he was hot and he knew he was hot. And I was just like, oh my God, I actually see that. Because I remember like watching an interview, they had a performance on Soul Train, like in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And, like, do you ever watch somebody and, like, you know that they know that they're hot? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was, that was Yuki Hero on Soul Train. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I felt the aura of that. Um, but listen, <laughs> to Sa- listen to Sarava. It's a great album. Um, 1978, I believe, his first solo album. He had, he had a you lot of good... And look forward to Ronald's post on this topic in the next it will be out by 2025 oh my god thank you for the time extension i'm so busy um but yeah (laughs) that that was a sad moment Uh, i was i was i was sad because like you know it was sad and i was just like oh and then like i went out that night and then like it was sad, and I was, like, drinking, and then next thing I know, I was sick. I low-key thought I got norovirus when I was in Ghana. It was like, a very sad. I, yeah. Um, but something else that you wrote, Hannah, I believe you wrote this one, was um, Nogizaka's rival... Nogizaka's... Nogizaka... I can't speak. Nogizaka Nogi 46's rival group. Yes. So, okay, okay. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. A lot of people are just like, "Oh, like this is Akipi's idea, like blah 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 blah." No, 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 no. no. This is Avex trying to fully own a group so that they can buffer up their um valuation. We actually did a special emergency Twitter space Oh, live stream this uh when news of the hybe buyout of the sm or proposed offer for sm in fact like as we are recording this right now uh hybe is actually confirming that they now completely own isuman shares so it's becoming even more of a reality um but anyways the point of this is to just say this, like a lot of Akimoto's projects, is to help out a friend through what he does best, which is just producing new acts, period, right? Because he did some of Exile's earliest singles. He literally produced Mika Nakashima's entire early career, so like stars and stuff. That's him. Going back to earlier talking about V6, he wrote mm-hmm. their debut single and their best song, Music for the People. Yes. 
So this is something that he has a lot of experience in. And like, if you don't know, AKB48 is actually part owned by the very company that they have a theater in. Don Quixote actually owns a part of AKB48. When he made Nogizako 46, Sony wasn't doing so hot, at least in the Japanese market. And they were like, could you work with us? And he was like, sure. And that's where the Koshiki rival came out. And so a lot of AKB48 fans were joking, oh, if this is if this AVEX group is the Nogizako 46 Koshiki rival, then that does that make them Koshiki friends of AKB48? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like we have none of the details. I myself am not even going to bother checking in on this group until after we see the debuts because things are going to change. Uh, Aki P is a man who gets very easily influenced by whoever happens to be like his favorite pick of the group. And that person usually determines what uh, the debut singles like. So I would just say. Hold your horses. Okay, guys. So it's funny. Play. So it's funny that you mentioned that Avex wants to fully own a group. Because I just remembered something came out in January that I want to discuss that I have been literally getting attacked for. And <laughs> no pun intended, left and right, um, about. Do you know what it is, Hannah? What? Left and right. Avex. Oh. What? So it's on January <laughs> on January twenty fifth, Avex released. I mean, Avex's new girl group, XG, released their third all English single, "Shooting Star." With the, with the coupling song, Left, Right. So the thing with XG, I, it's not that I dislike XG. I don't dislike XG. I'm just indifferent to them. I think they're noisy. I look at XG as I look at any other like noisy K-pop act like a Blackpink. I just mm-hmm. like I'm indifferent to it. But the thing is about XG is there's debate over what they are. And I'm just like, I look at things, I guess, okay, because I'm so ingrained in this like system now, I look at things not so much from like, we'll be best for international fans, but kind of just like, how do things work in Japan? Does that make sense to you, Hannah? How you understand things to work in Japan. Yeah. And XG, I'm just like, what my initial thoughts on XG were just like, oh, they have no market in Japan. So no wonder they're going to go become an international group. So the thing is, though, is that this is the craziest thing about XG that I'm getting like killed for is that I said um, XG is noisy. They remind me of Blackpink. 
if they wanted to be successful in Japan, they would have gone a new jeans route. Because speaking of which, new jeans became a first um, in January. They were the first K-pop act to ever hit number one based solely off of streaming. Based on a Korean single, not a Japanese release. Yes. So it was a Japanese, I mean, sorry, a Korean song by a fully Korean group on streaming. And it was number one. And it's and still. It does not have a proper Japanese debut release yet. So technically, oh, Jeans is actually a pre debut group in Japan. New Jeans is like kind of crazy because the thing is, though, is that they were on that new year end show that was created, I think, by NTV. Like they, they, they like made their, their TV debut on a year end show. Which is crazy. Yeah, which is a very, very big deal. They've hit number like, one. BGU actually um, also hit this on streaming as well. But they had the massive, massive morning show push. And mm-hmm. Nuji was just completely organic. And also... Um... So, like, New Jeans is pre-debut, and they have hit number one. They're also going to be doing um, Tokyo Girls Collection soon with their brother group under Hybe um, and team. So, I said, basically, that... Um, that, basically... And so, people thought that when I made the comparison between Blackpink and XG, that I was kind of, like, going and saying that black paint created this sound when i should be crediting black artists and i'm just like what the hell like where did th- like, where did that leap come from like of course i know no, that black- it's a joke that like you can say on twitter i love pancakes so why and do somebody- you hate waffles yeah, yeah yeah somebody will jump in your mentions and just do it. so you hate waffles <laughs> so the thing it's is yeah, and this is what I said to somebody. I was just like, here's the thing. The reason why I'm making the comparison to K-pop, if they, if XG had just stayed in Japan, I would have been just like, oh, yeah, they're like going and trying to be like these Black artists that they like, that they are name dropping. But because they went to Korea and trained, because their producer is a former K-pop idol, Simon from Dalmatian, because their promotion is basically all in Korea, because Max Matsura, the head of AVEX, the person that founded the group, said, oh, I'm basically just using Korea and K-pop to get my group further in the world because Japan cannot lose to Korea. Um, That's the reason why I made the comparison to K-pop. And Honestly, the things that Max said left a really bad taste in my mouth. Because I'm just like, that's just some hater-ass shit. Like, you're just like, you're like so mad. than the K-pop hater Ronald. Like, imagine being so hater that Ronald thinks you're over the top. Like, you are so mad that you couldn't keep up with the times for, like, a decade that you sent a group to Korea to train. And you decided to sabotage them. Because, like, imagine... No market in the world wants to be told, well, we're just using you for the money. Like, no one wants to hear that. 
I mean, the thing is, though, is that like when XG initially debuted on Korean TV, people were like, like Korean netizens literally were just like, who is this new group? Who is this new group? Like, what company are they under? Like, Korean netizens thought XG was a Korean group. And they, then they find out, oh, they're Japanese and they're singing in English. Why are they here? And then they find out that Max is just like, oh, I'm just using Korea. So the thing is, though, is that like a lot of XG fans are K-pop fans because XG, let's be realistic, XG is going after K-pop fans. If you're mm-hmm. if you're appearing on yeah, if you're appearing on M Countdown and not Music Station, it's obviously what what fan base and what country you're trying to go after. So a lot of XG fans are very def- a lot of XG K-pop fans are very defensive of XG, and I've noticed like there's been like an uptick in like K-pop fans and J-pop fans getting into it over XG. Because, like, K-pop fans would be like, XG, oh my god, they're so good. And K-pop fans, some some J-pop fans are kind of just like, oh, the K-pop copy group. And then, like, there's a, accusations of people being gatekeeping of J-pop and, like, things like that. And I just think the whole thing's silly. I mean, the thing is, though, is that, like... K-pop? They're gatekeeping of K-pop. So the thing is, though, is that, like, there have been people on Twitter who have said that, like, oh, J-pop fans, they're trying to gatekeep XG out of J-pop because they're saying that XG is not real J-pop and that they are a K-pop wannabe group. But then again, XG described itself as an international group. Okay. For what it's worth, uh, the Japanese market does not make a distinction between J-pop or K-pop. And for the longest time, neither did Korea. So to the two countries in question, there isn't a distinction. They're usually considered like subcategories of the other, literally. Because the music from the other country is so popular that if you were to group them with like foreign releases, they would just overwhelm the foreign releases. So they needed to break it out. So... So it's oh, domestic love. Stop fighting over the label, guys. I am so, talking to everyone who's just like, stop calling them a Japanese K-pop group or stop calling them a Korean J-pop group. Stop. Stop. It does not matter. The thing, the thing that, like, I was just trying to figure out what I was going to say. So the thing that, like, actually, I know what I was going to say. The thing that, like, kind of, like, like, actually just leaves a bad taste in my mouth because, one, I just don't like their music. Like, they're just not for me. Like, I, they're just a bit too noisy. And people thinking when I said noisy, I meant, like, their voice. It's like they're whispering on this one song. I'm like, I am not talking about their voices. I'm literally talking about the production. Like, the production makes my head hurt. Well, I do like that sound speaking as somebody who is actually very fond of all of blackpink's like pre-album singles black Sting. all of life and literally all of bts up until like dynamite right so clearly i am the type of person that they want to go after and after i heard max's comments i was like never mind not checking them out anymore <laughs> because the thing is though is that like it's like it's some hater ass shit and it's just like very bad like too and like the other thing too is that like 
there's something insidious about XG where it's kind of just like it's kind of just like I described it as like they're hiding the fact that they're Japanese. They're right? hiding the, the fact that they're groups, Japanese. With the other hybrid groups, right? Whether we're talking about like Mijiu or Anteam or N hyphen or any of the Japanese members on NCT who are actually uh rumored to make a like subunit debut in Japan, which would make a lot of sense, right? NCT is huge in Japan. Um, they're actually very upfront about being Japanese. They love talking about it. I mean, I don't want to say like love, love, but they definitely talk about it quite a bit. And if you read their comments and stuff, they're always very frank to say like, oh, I'm Japanese, but I came here because I really, really love K-pop. And so I wanted to be a, like, Japanese K-pop member, right? They're very frank about this. And the fact that XG is not quite as upfront is very... And the fact that, like, when XG talks about their influences, they literally just name... Black American artists. Hmm. Okay. Like, I don't have a problem with that. But, like, are you telling me, like, your whole life, you don't have any Japanese artists that you like? Huh. And you're telling me that a bunch of girls who are debuting like this do not like a single K-pop artist? Okay. Why are you in Korea? Like, debut in the United States, then. It's kind of, it's it's insidious. And the thing that really got to me today, not today, this week, was Kehlani. Kehlani, um, the American singer, she had a show in Korea. And she met XG after a show in Korea. And she, like, posted the video. And she was like, oh, my God, XG, I love Korea. And posted a bunch of Korean flags. And I'm just like, she's meeting XG and posting Korean flags. The dupe is working. The dupe is actually working. Like, they literally are going and convincing people that they are K-pop. And then so they're able to go and ride the K-pop wave internationally by just inserting themselves in the K-pop. This is what I mean by it's insidious. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with Japanese people who like Japanese and Chinese people who like sincerely appreciate K-pop and want to ride the wave either. Right. Like my favorites twice. How is like a the, bunch Japanese of line, the Japanese line from twice? They are upfront and honest though about this. Yeah. And like, it's people constantly have the Momo's, um, Momo's like, inability to properly speak Japanese is actually like a punchline. That is a rolling joke from the very first time she debuted all the way until present moment. Like, they Why very up- Japanese properly? Um, I think it's because <laughs> she was a trainee uh, as soon as she turned like 15 or something, and she debuted at 19. So she has like kanji reading problems. And even now, she'll mostly speak to... So the other members are actually also from Kansai. So they'll all speak in Kansai then. 
And so, like, when it comes to reading formal Japanese, she'll sometimes have issues. <laughs> How Kodakumi of her. Yeah, but it's like super cute, but it's also very funny. And it's like, oh, haha, you're Japanese. It's to the point where, like, they're so upfront about being Japanese that Hirai Momo was actually credited with lowering the geopolitical tensions between the two countries for a bit. Oh, God. This was actually, actually recorded in, like, public opinion surveys. Oh, gee. What? Like, they're writing it for sure, but, like, in a way that feels great. It's the joining of a bunch of different countries. Like, JO1, for example. Very, very great group. Um, They're actually marketed as, like, kind of, like, what happens when you get a mastermind Japanese agency and a mastermind Korean agency and have them work together? And you get Lapone Entertainment, and now you have DX Team, right? So all this stuff just feels good because they're very upfront about it. They're just like, we like J-pop and we like K-pop, and we like the two countries, and we want to make sure that we can provide something that appeals to everyone. But XG feels different than that. Yeah. And that's what we're saying we have a bit of an issue. issue with. Yeah. I mean, like, they can make whatever music they want to make. It's just not for me. There's tons of music out there that's just not for me. But it's like, when I, when I have a critique of XG, besides saying their music's noisy, okay, their music's noisy, whatever. Like, left, right, it actually is cute. Like, it's not as noisy as the other songs. It's a bit more mellow. But it's just like, the thing is, though, is that it's the behind the scenes thing. Like, I feel like a lot of people, like when I criticize XG, a lot of people who happen to see my criticisms are K-pop fans. So they don't know about, like, what Max said. They don't know the history of Apex and all like, that stuff. Those, those comments actually really damaged XG's popularity in Korea. Mm, because yeah. I feel like there's not a few Korean people who are like me who are like, hey, this song is actually pretty good, but I feel like I can't listen to it. Because you're being used. Like, not just that, but like I know the intent of the people who made this song. And so it just doesn't it doesn't feel great. Which, speaking of which, there is actually another group that debuted that was exactly like that. Who? Boys group, when they were all, um, when the members of boys group were, were in, like, WAC always has, like, a very crazy training program that they always do. When they were in their training camp, the very first thing that I said was, I fucking hate their name. <laughs> like, your name, not, not voice group, the names that the members pick for themselves to use. Oh, what were the names? It was just all like making fun of Korean people. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, it was, it was, very much it was written in katakana which is how you knew that they were supposed to be like foreign um but all the names were like like i forget but it was just i'm very looking it up now. Of, like k-pop members and i was just like 
this feels disgusting to me. And I was like, if they don't change their name, I'm just going to drop this group. And thankfully, they they changed it. It's all, yeah. it's all Japanese now. I'm looking now, and I'm like, these are all Japanese names. Yeah, but when they were in their training program, uh, it was, let's Fake say it was extremely racist. But do you expect anything different from WAC? Like, I expect them to make fun of, like, other idol groups and stuff. I don't ex- It's like, it's like Rat and Stars, right? When they were doing blackface for, like, 40 years. Mm-hmm. I don't expect them to do the Japanese equivalent of blackface. Well, well, the thing is, though, is that the way I look at it is that I know I'm, I'm about to bring a term out from the past, Hannah, but I'm looking at boys group as, like, the first, like, male anti-idol group. And uh. so the thing is, though, is that they are going to go after the main idol. So are a they... Japanese person living and uh, growing up in Japan knows exactly what it means to make fun of a Korean name. But the thing I'm going to say is, is that like, do you really think that Whack is going to go after Johnny's and like try to make no, fun no, of? No, no, no. I'm not saying like going after. I'm just saying that aspect of it's kind of like, like. If you were, say, like an anti-rapper, mm-hmm. right, in the United States, you would know better than to than to use racist stereotypes. What I was going to say is that, like, knowing the history of Japan and how they treat Koreans, and especially the fact that the group is based in Osaka, which is, like, another red flag wait how is that a red flag because osaka is the number one zainichi population in japan no okay so kansai is more politically liberal than kanto but the thing is though is i'm talking about just like whack having a group that is basically low-key parroting k-pop in it's totally fine to parody to parody k-pop right but i'm just saying like if you're gonna parody k-pop at least the best equivalent that i can think of in like an american context is like using the n-word right Mm -hmm. don't do that i just like the thing is i just don't like i i i'm not shocked by the things that whack does so, like, for yeah. them... To go just into thought that they would do better than doing the racism. Japanese equivalent. Yeah. Japanese I equivalent. I thought you were above racism, uh, whack, but obviously not. Yeah, exactly. And it was really disappointing. And what was even more disappointing was that not a single fucking, like, uh, idol. Um, so there's... I don't want to say there's a lot, but there's, like, two or three... English-speaking websites on J-pop idols, and not a single one of them commented on it. Okay, I don't mean to be, like, that person, but, like, as a Korean-American, 
Why did you not say something then? I did say something. <laughs> you, why you, where's it, where's the post on our site? Oh, that was when I was not posting on RMO. So, oh, okay. I just you posted getting, on Twitter. I, okay, you were getting ready for Nante. I will take that as an excuse, ma'am. Okay. But, like, the thing is, though, is, like, I personally had, like, no idea. If you told me about it, I would have, like, posted something. But I had, I wasn't following them, oh, so I had... Talking, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about, like, the whack groupies out there. Oh, I was no, just, like... You were talking about them. You I know you were definitely them. talking about them. But I was saying just, like, if you had told me that, like, oh, like, boys group, like, the dick group, they really are being dicks. And, like, they are literally, like, being anti-korean as part of their like training i might but, like, actually write that in my review of the album just being like i am very happy that they decided to change their names because their names just felt like like what were the names like one of them was like chejimin chejin no like chimin like the bts member or like Chin bonbon or something, which is obviously <laughs> oh meant God, to be like so a bad that I laughed. No, but like it's supposed to make you laugh, but it's it's like it's kind it's of like, just you know, like, like I can't Tong Tong. it's I, I don't oh oh god, I don't it's like it, basically if an American was like I'm Chinese, Ching Chong, like that. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly how the names felt. Do you remember the one thing that got everybody to drop that Anzai Colin girl? No. Oh, it's the Chinese hot pot thing. Up, yeah, when she showed up on a variety show and was like, I can pretend to be Chinese. And then she just was starts... the Ching Chong, basically. Yeah, but like, she knows it's wrong. She knows she's not supposed to do that. But we were all just like, oh my gosh. Like, how did you guys even think this was okay to air on TV? Yeah, and that I remember that. It was international fan base to just be like, you're done. Okay, all six of them. <laughs> I mean, I liked her stuff. And then that happened. And then I was like, I no longer like your stuff. I still don't know why, why Avex gave her a Charlie XCX song. It's like beyond me. Um, but... Do you have any more topics today? Oh, so two more things. First, so you were actually still in Ghana when this happened, but there was a very, very cool Spotify thing, which I thought they should have been doing all along. So I've always been of the thinking that Spotify should have been more aggressive towards their labels not in terms of like lower your prices for us but more in terms of saying hey like we have a lot of information we can offer you and we have so much information and so much data that like you guys could really use this data in a way that would help you plan out your tours and tour dates and one of the most exciting things to happen and i think it was either like January or very, very early February was that when Emma announced her national ja uh, Japan tour, she actually sent out a message through Spotify saying, Hey, if you are a top listener of Emma, 
by your track listens in the past year, you will get a message using um to the email account that is attached to your Spotify account inviting you to pre-register for the tour. So American listeners, you guys are probably very familiar with the Ticketmaster pre-registry program. Obviously, like the equivalent also exists in Japan, but I just thought it was really cool that Spotify was finally opening up their database in that way. Obviously, everyone gets kind of like a list of all their listeners kind of broken down by like which cities in the world are you in and stuff like that. But to mm-hmm. see them use it more aggressively like this is super cool. So I was just like, oh, that's that's really awesome. And then the second thing was, okay, so since the beginning of time, and this is like the short snippet of Hannah's Hellhole, because the VTuber segment will be a special spin-off segment. Look forward to it. Next you are episode. all saved from Hannah's Hellhole this episode. Well, not really. Not really, because the next part is also part of Hannah's Hole. So I've always been of the opinion that anime and manga adaptations, the live action versions, can be really, really good if they just put the fucking money and budget towards it. And I've been praying for the longest time that this happened. And in January, I got it. So one of my favorite directors of all time is Corey he is he is mastermind. And apparently he worked with Netflix. And I was like, there are so many manga out there that you can pick up. And I swear all the weaves will watch your stuff. Please just pick up anything. And he picked up the house of Makanai. So uh if you guys don't know, it is called the Makanai cooking for the Maiko house. It just released January 12th. It is the most wonderful show. Do not watch it when you are hungry. You will get oh, very, very fast. Yeah, it's I, like... I, it came out the day that I left for my trip. I wouldn't actually heavily recommend it to you as like an active watch because it's it's exactly the best parts of a Koreeda film, but like in a feel-good manner. And the thing about Koreeda films is that they're very, like, they're very, they're very subtle. They're very soft. Um, lots of silence. Lots of ASMR noises. And, like, nothing really happens in an episode. But you're still watching because it's wonderful. And it looks amazing. <laughs> Do you know what I actually rewatched the other night by him? What? Um, that's actually available. If you live in the U.S. and you have Tubi, if you have cable, you have Tubi probably. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, everyone has like Tubi. Father, like Father, like Son is on there. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. So, for those who do not know, like Father Like Son, um, it stars Masaharu Fukuyama and Lily Frankie, and they play two fathers whose sons were switched at birth. Mm-hmm. And so, basically, like Masaharu, he plays like this like executive, and like he's rich, and he lives in Tokyo, him and his wife with their son who's going to private school. 
And then Lily Frankie and his wife, they live in the countryside. He runs like an electronics repair shop. They're like, they're like, um, they're like not as advantaged. Um, and they live with their son and their two other kids, but like really they each have each other's son and it's just trying to figure out how to make this whole thing work. And like, I think one of the craziest parts is when, um, Masaharu is kind of just like, Hey, um, I have your son that I've been raising his whole life, but why don't you just like give me my biological son too? And I'll just raise them both. And it's just like, what? You think just because you have money, you can take our son, who's really your son, and also keep your son, who's really our son? Like, what? It's just like, while this premise sounds really crazy, and a lot of his movie premises are kind of wacko, what makes them amazing is just like the way that he makes silence work. And... like the parking of the car and like the yeah. driving of like and like when you're driving to the countryside you don't really see like the countryside you literally see just like the wall of the tunnel and like it's always been a dream of mine that Koreeda would pick up a series like this because I thought so there's a lot of manga and anime scenes um that where the paneling, there's no words being spoken. There's not a lot of action. But in the way that things are paneled, things are so heavily implied that, like, there's a lot of meaning being drawn out of it, right? And I'm like, this looks like a Koreeda film. <laughs> so I've always wanted him to pick up a mango. And so when it finally happened, I, like, shit my pants. You know what really annoyed me that didn't happen this year? What? Um, with like the whole like end of year awards thing is the fact that he didn't he win? No, he didn't win the Palm Door. But like he had a movie out this year and like it got like no buzz. And you said because like Korea hated it. Well, Korea didn't hate it. And there was actually a lot of buzz overseas. There was a lot of I think criticism that it kind there were parts of the script that felt a little bit awkward what was the movie called it was called like baby box or something i think so so the reason why i know about it and why you don't is because it's broker it's broker broker that's what it is i mean like i knew about the movie because people were just like oh it's coriata and he's like because some people were kind of like some people were like thinking that he was some people were thinking he was trying to like pull an XG. And I it's just like, oh, I'm a Japanese okay, director. So, I'm gonna go to Japan and host all these, I'm gonna go to Korea and like direct all these Koreans, and then I'll get my Oscar too, just like Parasite. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Koreeda has actually worked with um Korean actors and actresses quite extensively in the past before anyone tries to accuse him of pulling a mac uh matsura i am i'm gonna defend my my bestie not my bestie i wish he was my bestie uh my fave so one of my favorite films um called air doll he actually worked with like peduna 
on that, he's worked with a lot of the really, really big giants in Korea. And the main reason why he felt compelled to work in Korea as opposed to Japan is because Japan hates his guts. When the man won the Palme d'Or, not just once, but multiple times, because Broker was actually nominated for a bunch of them too, right? The government refuses to acknowledge that he exists. Because everything he works on (laughs) tends to be some aspect of society they'd rather not talk about. And this is the real reason why he went to Korea. Not because he wants to pull an XG, but because... Not because he wanted to pull an XG. Yeah. He just... He wants to stop being silenced by the Japanese government. Well, it's similar to why Drive My Car was almost made in Korea. Exactly. Because it was just like, I'm tired of getting silenced. I think the funny thing is that, like, um, (laughs) like, when they were talking about Drive My Car being made in Korea... They were just like, well, the thing is, though, is that in Japan, if we were to, like, have made this movie in Japan, there was a very high chance they would have put a Johnny in it. And it's like, oh, uh, that's true. But it didn't happen. Like, I'm just imagining, like, the killer guy in Drive My Car being played by, like, I don't know, Yuto Nakajima. <laughs> I mean, they're not act- bad actors, but like, he also He's doesn't want- in Berlin right now with his new movie, Manhole. Yeah, but like, he also um, doesn't want to be constrained. By he, I'm talking about like Koreeda, like, he doesn't want to be constrained. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay. I get it. So, anyway, any more topics for the month? No, I'm just saying you are, you're saved. This month was surprisingly short for you. So you don't have any faves this month? Oh, I do have faves, though. Okay, go ahead, so, Sam. Obviously, I liked Makanae a lot. Um, but my favorite album of the month was actually Hoshimachi Suisei's Spectre. That was such a good album. It actually reminds me of that Eme album, Daybreak. Where it felt kind of like a departure from everything that Suisei had made, be- that Eme had made before. And was like a path to becoming like a more J-Rocky artist. And Spectre was not necessarily like a departure from anything that Suisei had made before because it's not like she made that many songs, but it certainly was a lot less idly and a lot more rocky. And that is something that I am always going to love. So that was my biggest favorite. Just listen to the entire thing. The entire thing is great. Stan Suisei. 
超もかわいい。Oh my god. Huh, my favorites for this month? It's my turn now? Yep. Okay, so I don't have a song. I don't have a song. So I'm gonna like switch it up and do two albums, you know, a little something different. One is a studio album, one is a best album. Oh, so, what, you, what should I start with? Start with the best album. Okay, the best album is Misha's 25th anniversary best album. Um, so, the thing is, though, is that, like, everyone knows I love Misha, even though she gets dragged for, like, having dreads and braids and whatever else. Like, whatever. I don't care about that. Um, it's just hair. Um, so... The thing is, is that like about this best album is that I really enjoyed it because like it really does show like the variety of her career because a lot of people think Misha's just ballads, but Misha's not just ballads. She has like up-tempo songs too. Uh, but the best thing I think about this album, this best album is the third CD because the third CD is her remix CD and I love that CD. Why do I love that CD? Because you get the two sides of remixes that she has. She has like her more like hip hop remixes, and then she has her dance remixes. And oh my god, Misha and on a dance remix. A queer is going to always go for the dances. Oh my god, the dance remixes, the dance remixes. So the funny thing is that like I turned my best friend who lives in San Francisco, I turned him on. To like Misha's remixes when we were like in Brazil for my birthday last year. And like, I remember like going to his going away party in September, like the day after we got back from Korea. And he put on a song, and I like remember like hearing the intro, and I was like, and I was just like, are you playing Misha? And he's like, yes. And then so like his friends who are like DJs, like one of which has like actually like officially remixed Beyonce. He was just like, what is this? This is cute. And I'm like, and and then he's just like, oh, Ronald put me onto this. It's like one of like his like Japanese faves. And I'm just, he's like, oh, it's really cute. And I was like, thank you. And I'm just like, see the power of Misha. Um, so I enjoy the best album. Go listen to it. You will change your opinion on Misha. But there is something I wanted to address about this. So this best album here with the same day as IU's new album. And the thing is, though, is that it is so crazy to me how much, like, international fans like to ignore Misha and how she's been a continual success her entire career. Because people are just like, I never, like, heard of Misha before, like, a couple of years ago but suddenly like people are saying she's like an icon and she's like a legend and i'm just like um she is like were you guys just like not paying attention and like the thing is though is that i realized what it was so misha was not big misha never appeared on tv performing until kohaku like about a decade ago so well she, she was part of a bunch of like tv programs she was part she was the thing she wasn't like performing on tv but she was like part of like the 98 line of just like 
Misha, you know what Misha is? People look at that 98 year, which is all those girls are telling me they're their 25th anniversary right now. So they look at like IU, they look at Utada, but then they forget about the three other ones that debuted the same year who are literally just as important. Do you know who those three are? Well, Kuraki Mai, Shinoringo, and no. Misha. Not, I, I wouldn't name Kuraki Mai in there. Not at all. Also, what you put in there? I was going to say Misha, Ringo, and Aiko. Oh, I always forget that Aiko debuted with them. But yeah, yeah. Aiko is definitely it, more important. Yeah, like, but the thing... Yeah, love, love Ico. Shout out to Tim. But the thing is, though, is that like a lot of international fans, like back in the day, found like because Ico, Misha, and Ringo were selling comparable numbers to the other people just named. But the thing is, though, is that because their music was dubbed boring, they weren't really what? paid attention to. Hey, 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 hey! I their come music- from the vision. Into Sheena Ringo contingent. Oh God, their music was dubbed boring, so they weren't listened to. But the thing is, though, is that now that people are twenty five years removed from that time, they're looking back at the music that actually mattered, and they're like, the thing is, though, is that here's the thing: Japanese people always knew that those acts mattered. They were always buying them. But the thing is, though, is that now that you have all these like retrospective shows of like twenty five years looking back. And you see that, like, oh, Ico songs, Ringo songs, Misha songs, Utada songs have stood the test of time. Meanwhile, the Ayumi Hamasaki songs, it's like better, best forgotten. They feel a bit bitter about that. And they're like, kind of just like, who are these people? How are they icons? And it's just like, please go look at the charts that you guys like to look at so much. You'll see that, like, they were there, they were there too. Like the weeks that I was not number one, Misha was, or Ringo was, or Aiko was. It's just like I mean, ridiculous. I'm just surprised that people ignored Ringo. She was of all of them, I would say like it's actually a toss-up between Utada and Ringo as my favorites. Because the thing about I would say like Utada was like the bridge between like between Misha Aiko, between like just to simplify things, between Misha Aiko and Ringo, Utada was like the bridge to like that, like kind of like Ayu, Namie, Kodakumi pop star. Mm-hmm. She was like yeah. the bridge. And like a lot of people didn't want to cross the bridge because the bridge looked boring. Oh, gosh. Like I will admit, I'm not an Aiko fan. I think she's a tad mundane. Um, well, that's because you're not sapphic. Of course, you're not gonna like her. Oh my so god! Why you don't like? Aimeon. Aimeon and like Taylor Swift and like everybody who's opening up Taylor Swift shows, right? Like for her upcoming um, tour. Um, um, Mitski is that her name? Yeah, yeah. All those people. Like, of course, you're not gonna like them. Ringo's sort of sapphic. What? I mean, like, she has, like, that video of her, like... No, that was... 
very male gaze. I'm sorry. And I think about like male gaze. I think of like um, I think about like the one single. I'm like blanking on the title where like she like literally said like, oh, on the cover of my new single, I will appear in a bikini. And then it's like a photo of her like on a family beach trip when she was like eight. <laughs> and it's just like, here's my bikini photo. And then people are like, it's a family photo of you at the beach with your family when you're like a kid. We thought you meant like a current like boobs bikini photo. Not an eight-year-old. Anyway, yeah. Like Misha, she's great. Listen to her. And then going into the best the studio album, I'm gonna pick Stones's Koei. So I'm thinking of doing a longer review for this album. I like Stones's Koei. Um the thing about Stones's Koei is that I really um how do I say this? It has good songs. It has some songs that I don't really care for. Um, but the thing about it is that it generally has like a good vibe to it. And the thing is, is that like, it has like a lot of EDM songs to it. And the thing is, though, is I can't tell if the EDM songs are them throwing back to the past or them somehow trying to get on a nostalgia train before it leaves the station. Doesn't matter. This is J-pop. There's no such thing as trends, especially when you're talking about idols. You do whatever the hell you want. Like, the thing is, though, is that, like, my favorite song on the album right now probably would be, like, Outrageous. And, like, Outrageous literally sounds like some bombastic, like, song that would have, like, annoyed the the living hell out of me in, like, 2012. But, like, now I'm kind of just like, oh, I'm kind of down for this. And then, like, the other song... So, I will point out, because I know for a fact that Ronald doesn't care about this, I will will admit that I have warmed up to Corey a lot. You listen to the album? I listened to the album after you sent me that interview that they had. And I was like, Oh, the one about um, them being able to do, like, concerts and have, like, fans call out. Yeah. Johnny's had a tribute to Fan Chance. Oh, my God. And then another song I really liked on the album was um, was Cat Call. And, like, I remember just, like, saying the chorus to Hannah. Hannah's like, that song is stupid. And I was just like, it is a bit dumb but like the thing is I was I like it because like the chorus is literally like I meow you meow I'm like oh my god like this is like but I like it okay so it's only after I read the interview that I understood why the song is so dumb because it's like meant for like fan calls yeah exactly like the moment you even if it's a fan's first time hearing it you immediately know, oh, I'm supposed, like, me, the fan in the audience is supposed to scream meow. I meow, you meow, 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 meow. meow. 
it's a dumb song, but put it into that sort of setting and it becomes an amazing song. It's like uh teammates like Steki 47 Steki Namachie. Like it is a dumb song. If you want to memorize all the prefectures of Japan, that's actually a great song. Um but if you put it into like a fan audience, right? What actually ends up happening is that people match their favorite their prefecture. Yeah, so if you have a girl and she represents like Gunma prefecture, right? Or like Kagoshima prefecture, right? Is it like one of those ones where it's just like everyone from Kagoshima say yeah, yeah, or like that kind yeah, of thing. It's, it's that, but instead of everybody from there, it's everybody who is a fan of the girl who represents Kagoshima will scream Kagoshima at the same time. I've actually wanted to go to Kagoshima. It, they call it the Naples of Japan. It, it even has a volcano that covers its city in dust. Yes, there's a giant, there's a giant volcano across the bay from Kagoshima, the actual city. And it has been known to erupt and cover the city across the bay in volcanic ash. Ooh. Not like Pompeii nice style, spot. but like, you know, blurries. Yeah. But yeah, Ronald, like it's one of those dumb songs. Right? Old former bet... special project is from Kagoshima. Oh. Amino Parade. Oh. Well, you know who else is from Kagoshima? Who? Miyawaki Sakura of La Seraphim. Oh, really? Yeah, because the, the ongoing joke of 48G girls is oh, haha, like, both of the black-hearted girls are from Kagoshima. And everyone's just like, oh, is this just another Kagoshima, like, specialty? <laughs> Maybe they're black-hearted in part because they're covered by volcanic ash. Oh, my God! <laughs> Maybe that's true. Okay. Um, on that note... Do you have any closing words? Wait for the VTuber State of Address 2022 edition and then later on weekly edition coming to you soon. Um, so um, I want to say, everyone, thank you for listening. And um, we have a few couple of interesting developments coming in the coming weeks. We cannot let you guys know about them yet, but keep your eyes peeled. Some very exciting things coming soon, correct, Hannah? Yep. Keep your eyes on us. To quote Miyawaki Sakura from Eyes One. Oh, God. All right. On that note, thank you and good night. Good night.